This is the World War II Radio Podcast. A date which will live in infamy. This is London. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Go ahead, Berlin. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Welcome to the World War II Radio Podcast. Today, we have an NBC special report on the Cairo Conference from December 1st, 1943. It reports on a meeting between U.S. President Franklin Roosevelt, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill, and nationalist Chinese leader Chiang Kai-shek, as they focused on the post-war plans for Japan and the rest of Asia. The World War II Radio Podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production. If you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Be sure to visit our website at brickpicklemedia.com slash podcast, where you can find links to past episodes and other information. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ww2radio. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's episode of the World War II Radio Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For a special broadcast, we take you to Grant Parr in Cairo. Mr. Morrison in Cairo. President Roosevelt, Mr. Churchill, and General Chiang Kai-shek have completed five days of conferences at which they decided the future of Japan. Their intention, according to a communique issued here just now, is to strip Japan of all the Pacific islands she has seized in the past 30 years, to restore Manchuria and Formosa to China, and in general, to reduce the Japanese empire to its status as of 1906. We also are going to restore independence to Korea in due course, as the communique says. These things were decided with the aid of every top-ranking military authority on our side. They all attended the conferences. I can't say where, because this conference has been obscured by the most hilarious harlequinade of obstruction that ever happened even in the Middle East. I am allowed to say that the president saw the pyramid. The communique, which is the most direct statement of war aims that our side has yet issued, warns that serious and prolonged operations may be expected before Japan surrenders. You will notice that these conferences dealt only with Japan. We switch you now to the NBC newsroom in New York. Thank you, Chester Morrison, our new NBC man in Cairo. Next, NBC takes you to Morgan Beatty in Washington. Chester Morrison has just given you the details of the historic conference among the Pacific Big Three, Roosevelt, Churchill, and Chiang. He gave you their communique in detail, but in Washington, certain points are attracting a great deal more attention than others. The first point in the communique itself is one of these. That point says this, and we quote it, the several military missions have agreed upon future military operations against Japan. That unquestionably, in the minds of all observers, diplomatic and military, means unity of action in the Pacific 
to the very end of the war without question. The pressure of military action is already rising, says the communique. There again, you have the indication that the Allies are using the attacks such as the Gilbert and the Marshals to show the Japanese a sample of what's to come. Another point stressed here, among all observers, is this one, and we quote it. It is the purpose, that is, the purpose of the great three allies in the Pacific, that Japan shall be stripped of all the islands in the Pacific which she has seized or occupied since the beginning of the First World War in 1914. This raises a point well known here among diplomats that the State Department proposed way back there at the end of the last war, proposed the acquisition or certainly the control or some voice in the control of those islands at that time. The State Department was turned down then by President Wilson. Another great point of importance here, stressed here, is this. We quote again, the aforesaid three great powers, mindful of the enslavement of the people of Korea, are determined that in deep due course, Korea shall become free and independent. It's significant that a group of Sino-Korean people here, an organized group here in Washington, said this tonight, that this declaration would touch off plenty of fireworks behind Japan's strategic areas. That was the purpose, of course, of the big three in making this statement. And the final point, the one that, Grandpa, that uh, Chester Morrison gave us, is this. With all of these objects in view, the three allies, in harmony with those of the United Nations at war with Japan, will continue to persevere in the serious and prolonged operations necessary to procure the unconditional surrender of Japan. There you have a stressing by Churchill and Roosevelt and Chiang of this very great important point that serious and prolonged operations will be necessary to procure that unconditional surrender. And in those two words, unconditional surrender, there we have the main point of this conference and the declaration that follows it. The repetition of the term unconditional surrender may be extremely significant because that's the term already used by President Roosevelt in connection with the downfall of Germany. Thus, it would appear possible that the Second World War may be progressing steadily toward a single kind of a war, officially. By that we mean the Russians do not now admit that the Japanese are a part of this war so far as they're concerned. They have a non-aggression pact with the Japanese. But apparently the Russians are now convinced that it's no longer necessary to be deeply concerned about that non-aggression pact because Japan is not able at this time to give them blow for blow. Now, the possibility of the action of the Big Four, that is, a definite prospect that Chiang Kai-shek might remain a part of the conference when Churchill and Roosevelt meet with Stalin later, if and when, is also significant in that direction. Thus, it would appear that unity of action on all of the fronts in this war may now be on the distant horizon if it's not even on a closer one. This is Morgan Beatty. We're taking you now to Chongqing, China, if it's possible to do it. I'm sorry, we're returning you to New York. And this is New York, ladies and gentlemen, returning you to Washington. One moment, please. Apparently, we're unable to get Chongqing, and New York wishes us to continue. On that point of unity of action on all fronts, Perhaps we can get a better information on this at the moment from Richard Harkness, who just arrived in the newsroom. This is Richard Harkness in our nation's capital. Well, Washington's first impulse, right at the moment, is to say that this announcement from Cairo is a distinct anticlimax. 
Well, certainly the fact that the president, Winston Churchill, and Chiang Kai-shek met by the pyramids has been a public secret here for days. And then yesterday, through Reuters, the British let the cat clear out of the bag. This tendency to discount the Cairo conference is, however, a superficial view. It fails to take into account the real news that broke this evening in Cairo, the story behind the story. When Mr. Roosevelt, Churchill, and the Generalissimo met in Egypt, they made certain, for the first time, the way observers here see it, that the Allies will now have complete unity of command against Japan. Well, this is in itself important, if not spectacular. Another point is that this Cairo conference appears to be only the first of two such meetings. Washington is convinced now, with this news this evening, that the three leaders who met in Cairo will talk soon, if they are not talking right at this minute, with Joseph Stalin. With the Allies' big four sitting down together, the United Nations are achieving full cooperation, military, political, and diplomatic. So now there is renewed speculation here that General George C. Marshall will soon become the Allied commander in Europe. The Capitol believes now that General Marshall's new staff, probably in London, will include not only British officers, but Russian officers, and Chinese will act as liaison men and observers. Oh, I covered the last Roosevelt-Churchill meeting for NBC, the meeting in Quebec. The statement issued there seemed anticlimactic, too. But since Quebec, we have seen the results of the plans made there. The bombing of Berlin, the invasion of the Gilberts, were the unannounced results of Quebec. So the real story of Cairo has not yet been told. It will come in more dramatic killing blows against both ends of the Axis. And assuming that our president and the Russian, British, and Chinese war leaders are meeting, belief here is that the next announcement may be more sensational. One report here in Washington, largely surmised, is that they will call upon the German people to surrender. Another possibility is that this second conference may bring the announcement of the new post for General Marshall. Now, there would be some precedent for such action the way Washington is recalling it this evening. After Quebec, which dealt largely with the Pacific, we had the appointment of Lord Louis Mountbatten in Asia. And there is another, at least intriguing, angle to any possible meeting of the Big Four. So far, Russia has been more than scrupulous in maintaining her neutrality with Japan. Now, there is no official word whatever on this. But Washington is wondering exactly what the implications will be if Premier Stalin and Chiang Kai-shek sit down together. Now, there is even renewed talk here now of American air bases in Siberia. And from here in Washington, it is only honest to tell you this fact. Sharp friction has risen between American and British newsmen over the way Reuters broke the story ahead of time. It is a quarrel which Washington believes could lead to a lively dispute between our own Office of War Information and the Ministry of Information in London. Elmer Davis, our information chief, already has called the Reuters story reprehensible. Now, we had the story here. We had it yesterday, but under the Washington-London agreement, it could not be broadcast until this evening. This is Richard Harkness taking you to the NBC newsroom in London. General Marshall for America. General Shang Chen for China. To everybody's disappointment, General MacArthur didn't come. But Lord Louis Mountbatten and General Stilwell made the journey from the Asiatic battlefront and General Eisenhower and several of his famous fighting team from the Mediterranean theater brought their experience to bear upon the problem. 
The conference lasted five days, from Monday, November the 22nd to Friday, November the 26th. But the intensive staff work was packed into the first three days. One American staff meeting on Tuesday the 23rd lasted all night. The big three didn't attend the staff conferences, but they had their own meetings with the chiefs of staff, and there were any number of informal contacts and conversations. Mr. Churchill and President Roosevelt were working very closely together. If you notice, they had two lunches and one dinner alone together during those first three days. When the three leaders met, Madam Chiang Kai-shek was there to do the interpreting. The China conference was held in conditions of extraordinary secrecy. The 70-odd newspaper men who have been covering it say, with some bitterness, They've never been kept so much in the dark. The delegates lived within a closely guarded perimeter and rarely, if ever, went outside. Mr. Churchill left it only once, and that was after the conference proper had finished. But by all accounts, there was an intimate, almost a family atmosphere in the community. President Roosevelt cracking jokes on all sides, calling out to Churchill, move a little to starboard to make room for Madame Chang-Kai-Shek. Mr. Churchill refusing to go to bed before two o'clock in the morning. General and Madame Chang-Kai-Shek walking arm in arm round the garden for an hour each afternoon. The Thursday was American Thanksgiving Day, and it was obvious that the back of the work had been broken by then. Mr. Churchill worked all that afternoon on four days' accumulation of home dispatches because the planes had been held up by bad weather. But he attended the President's Thanksgiving dinner that night. Of all the stories produced by the China Conference, I like best the one which was told by Dr. Hollington Tong of the Chinese delegation. Mr. Churchill had his daughter with him, Section Officer Sarah Oliver. And at a tea party at the end of the conference, she told General Chiang Kai-shek that she thought she was there under false pretenses, being only a junior officer. This is the NBC Newsroom in New York. That report concludes NBC's special coverage of tonight's important news of the Roosevelt-Churchill-Chiang Kai-shek meeting, together with all the military leaders of the Allied High Command. Broadcasting direct from Cairo... NBC's Chester Morrison, at the beginning of this period, gave the first official announcement of the conference by radio. He began to speak at the exact moment the news became available for release in the conference city of Cairo. This news, which centers attention upon future Allied military developments, came on a day which found our armies in the field inching forward into the Axis battle lines. In Italy, the British armies have broken the German defense line along the Sangro River and are continuing to press ahead. In Russia, while one Soviet army tries to fight off German counterattacks, another Russian unit is pushing the Germans back. Soviet artillery now is within range of the German-held city of Zlobin. American flying fortresses flew into western Germany to bomb new targets or bomb the old ones again. And over in the Far East, Chinese troops recovered a portion of their rice bowl country. Japan's invading army has been driven out of a captured city. That's the background of war as the conferences go on that are destined to bring victory. On this special program, in addition to the first official report by NBC's Chester Morrison from Cairo, 
We heard from Morgan Beatty and Richard Harkness of our Washington NBC staff. This is the National Broadcasting Company. <laughs>